You're listening to a special bonus episode of Upside Down Podcast, featuring Shannon Evans, Kayla Craig, and your host today, Lindsay Wallace. Hello, welcome to our special adoption episode of Upside Down, a podcast of unscripted conversations on life and faith. And I today, this is Lindsay, and I am chatting with Kayla and Shannon about adoption. Hi. Yeah. Say hi. Hello. (laughs) So this episode is going to air on October 31st, and we decided to do a special adoption episode in honor of National Adoption Month, which is November. And all three of our families have grown through adoption, but in different unique ways obviously and so we just wanted to have a conversation and this episode is really specific to pre-adoptive families so if you have kiddos home obviously we would love to have you listen in and share your comments on social media and the blog but we really wanted to just provide some encouragement and support and maybe even equipping with resources to families who are just starting out or considering adoption So before we get started, just some really quick, I'm a numbers person. I don't know about you guys, but I kind of enjoy facts in addition to stories. (laughs) So obviously we believe that the need is very real. And so, you know, numbers vary pretty widely, but UNICEF says that there's over 130 million orphans in the world. And so those are single orphans and double orphans, kiddos who's lost one or both parents. And then just in the U.S. alone, There are about 400,000 kids in foster care, 100,000 of those who are legally available for adoption, and 30,000 kiddos in our country will age out of foster care every year this year without a family. So the need is very real, and the scriptural command is pretty clear. Jesus doesn't mince words about caring for the vulnerable and the orphaned and bringing the homeless into our homes. So on that note... Why don't you guys share, Kayla, you can go first, what led your family to adoption? And before Kayla answers, I just want to say we are going to have individual kind of get to know each co-host episodes coming up. So we're not diving deep into our stories Mm -hmm. here. We're going to give you a really brief, obviously we could talk about our family's stories for a long, long time, but we're just going to give really brief kind of bullet pointed versions. And then you'll have to tune in to the individual interviews to hear the more in-depth stories. Mm-hmm. That's Lindsay's way of saying, Kayla, keep it short. So what led our family to adoption? We were young newlyweds first starting out and we started to feel like, Hey, I I think that, that maybe we could do this crazy parenting thing. And through two separate kind of instances, my husband and I both felt very much compelled by the fact that there were so many children who were already born that were waiting for a family. And just through a lot of prayer and kind of I don't know, divine intervention, we found ourselves befriending someone who was a Nigerian American and he worked with us to bring home our son, Joseph. And then that was our, that was our foray into adoption, international adoption when he was a year. So should I, I don't know, do I talk about our other? Okay. Talk about Eliza. Okay. So Joseph came, we had a biological son a few years later and then we kind of felt like we wanted to continue growing our family. And because our two kiddos, we already had two kiddos at this time, international adoption just wasn't something that was probably going to work for us with all of the travel. And last time I was there for a couple months, so I couldn't leave my kids. Mm-hmm. So, uh, But we still felt very compelled to a child that needed, for whatever reason, couldn't be with their first family and was already waiting. And we adopted our daughter, Eliza, domestically when she was three weeks old. And that was a special needs adoption. She has Down syndrome. And then we have a a biological son that came shortly after. Was that short enough? That was great. Okay, Shannon. So for us, we were married and we had went through a missions training to go serve as missionaries in Indonesia. And so we were waiting kind of to start the parenting thing until we got there. (laughs) Because when we moved, we thought we were going to be there sort of indefinitely. 
And so we got there and we kind of started praying together about, I had always been interested in adoption and my husband was open to it. And so it was something that we talked a lot about. So we were kind of praying about and having a lot of conversations about whether we wanted to try to get pregnant or if we wanted to adopt. And we took this month (laughs) to pray about it. And at the end of the month, shock, like we didn't feel like God was strongly saying one thing or the other. (laughs) I think he was just really saying it was our choice. Yeah. So we ended up going, going with adoption. And at the time, like I said, we were living in Indonesia. So U.S. domestic adoption was really not on the table because of, well, do, uh, adopting from foster care is is more of a process of there's a lot of home visits and, you know, court things. And anyways, it just wasn't a possibility. We couldn't be traveling back to America. And so we started looking around in Indonesia and the surrounding Southeast Asian countries and doors just kept closing because we you know, we didn't have documented infertility or we weren't 30 years old or we weren't Muslim or, Mm -hmm. you know, different things. And so one by one, as we were looking at these different agencies and countries, the doors kept closing. So I had a friend from college who worked at this adoption agency and they were doing Uganda adoptions and it was a new program at the time and it was going pretty quickly. And my husband and I, neither one of us had been to Uganda And it was certainly far away from Indonesia, but it felt like we met all the qualifications and it felt like an open door. And so that's, that ended up how we chose to go that route. We ended up having a American who was living in Germany fly to Indonesia to do our home study. Wow. (laughs) So yeah, that was, that was the only, the only, well, not the only, but the initial hurdle to find somebody that was willing to come do it. But other than that, it was pretty typical. And how long ago was that? We started it in 2009 and we traveled uh, towards the end of 2010. Okay. So it was about a 15 month time, which is actually pretty short, but it was supposed to be nine months. So it felt excruciating. Yeah. Yeah. That's similar to us too. Mm You were just a year ahead of us. Okay. Kayla, you said Eliza was three months old, but did you guys say how old your sons were when they uh, came out? Joseph was just a year, and Eliza was three weeks. So she was three weeks. She was Sorry. Itty, bitty, bitty. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I meant weeks. Yeah. 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 And uh, the day we came back to America, Alyosha turned eleven months. So okay. he and Joseph were pretty pretty similar ages. Yeah. 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 That's cool. Yeah, so our story is kind of similar to y'all's. When we got married, we, or when we got engaged, actually, we decided we didn't want to have kids. Um, (laughs) And our pastor in premarital counseling pushed back on that a little bit. And so we came back the next week and said, okay, we'll adopt. And it was really kind of like you said, Kayla, more logistical and statistical, you know, like there's so many kids out there who need families. Why would we make more? Mm -hmm. That was kind of our mindset. And God worked on our hearts a lot. Mm-hmm. in the following years. So we had a biological son who was born a couple of years later. And actually, right before we got pregnant with him, we had started researching the adoption process and, you know, just gathering information from agencies and looking into different programs, different countries and got pregnant. So he was born in 2008. And so we started the adoption process Um, when he was about a year old and got pregnant again and (laughs) took another break and started the process again. This was all international. We uh, were in the process of adopting from Ethiopia. And then about, um, I think our daughter, biological daughter was about four months old and my husband was diagnosed with cancer. Mm -hmm. So you can't really pursue (laughs) cancer treatment at the same time. So we took another, that was another about nine month break. And then um, he got a clean bill of health. We started the process again and Ethiopia denied our case because he was a cancer survivor and had a cancer history at that point. Wow. So at that time we decided we would switch to the Democratic Republic of Congo program, which was fairly new. And for most of the agencies, it, it was still a pilot program. And about, well, let's see, I think we received, so this is the bullet pointed version, but we lost two referrals, two little boys in the Congo. And about that same time, took in two little boys 
So, um, Lindsay, for someone that isn't familiar, when you say referral, what does that mean? Yeah, good question. We were matched with a child to separate little boys. So referral is when for international adoption, and I guess domestic infant too, Kayla, you can talk about that in a minute. But uh, when you receive a referral is when you are matched with a child. So we'd been matched with two different little boys. And, you know, our attorneys had started working on collecting their birth certificate and paperwork and that kind of thing. And I won't go into why, at least in this episode, why we lost those referrals. But about that same time, we took in two little boys in our neighborhood and that was intended to be a short-term situation and we quickly realized it would be a long-term situation and so again this is the bullet point version but basically they eventually did go into foster care into the state's custody and we became their foster parents after quickly rushing to get certified to become foster parents because that was <laughs> not at all on our radar wow. um and so they lived with us for a total of about two and a half years, and we finalized their adoption at the end of that two and a half year period. And um, so, when was that? What year let's was that? See. They came to live with us in 2012, and their adoption was finalized in 2014. Okay. Yeah. And at the end of 2012, after we lost our second referral in the Congo, we just kind of felt like we were done, you know, like we were emotionally mm-hmm. and financially and spiritually pretty spent but long story short the lord showed us a little girl that he was leading us to adopt and she came home in 2015 the beginning of 2015 so that is how we all came to be together awesome yeah and i think one cool thing about the three of us is we've all done different things all of us have the international piece in common but even that is really different but Kayla, you did a domestic infant adoption, and then we did foster care. So I think we are definitely not professionals, and we can't speak to every possible scenario out there, but we can give people kind of a overview of each different type of adoption. Mm-hmm. So we're each going to speak to kind of what we know. So Kayla, do you want to go first with domestic? Sure. So domestic was kind of a, a new experience for us as Joseph came via international adoption and because we felt because we felt passionately about adopting a waiting child it's a little bit different here obviously in the United States than it is overseas and we ended up getting our home study and this is not super typical but I can only speak to my experience we got a home study you have to have a home study before you can move forward at all home study is when a social worker or a licensed Shannon do you know what that's called if you're not a is a licensed something a caseworker a caseworker i mean yeah. when i when i did it i wasn't licensed i was okay. just a caseworker so somebody who knows what they're doing and has to have the right <laughs> certifications <laughs> comes into your home and then it's and it's not you guys would agree it's not as scary as what you might think when somebody's coming no. to your house you know maybe no, the media makes it it's seem not. like it's this really crazy thing so they come into your home they ask you a lot of questions and you guys can speak to this because a home study is the same pretty much across the board foster care is a little bit different things but mostly it's the Mm -hmm. same so they ask you a lot of personal questions ask you about your parenting style you do a lot of you have to do a lot of background checks go through that whole thing once you're approved then then it's kind of the ball is in your court as to what you want to do. So you can go to an agency to get a home study or you can go an independent route, which is what we did. So we wanted to keep the doors pretty open instead of picking one um, particular agency. And a lot of people, you know, have connections with an agency and go that route. And that is a totally common thing to do. But because we were open to maybe special needs adoption or maybe a sibling group or older child, we just felt like we wanted to have a broader scope, if that makes sense. And mm-hmm. we went ahead and did that. And we, I gave my name to a friend who is an adoption consultant. And adoption consultants um, work primarily in the United States. And they have connections with different agencies, different social workers, different attorneys, 
different nonprofits that might have children that need to be placed. Um, a lot of times those are the people that are maybe are approached by a birth mother. And then if they need families to make those matches, then they might contact an adoption consultant. So can we, I ask a question? Yeah. How did you choose an adoption consultant? Well, I actually, I'm friend. I was friends with our adoption consultants and I had okay. known a lot of people that have worked with her, but we didn't, mm-hmm. we weren't official clients, if that makes sense. Because okay. um, we were just kind of like, if a need comes up and you don't have a family for that child, will you mm-hmm. let us know? You know what I mean? Yeah. So, and mm-hmm. it was really good to have someone who I knew when that time came would be able to help me with some of those official processes. You know what I mean? Someone who Mm -hmm. knew exactly what they were doing, who knew kind of the paperwork that would need to happen, that type of thing. And we also, there's a nonprofit organization called Special Angels Adoption. And it is just a really like kind of grassroots type of effort. And they are contacted quite frequently by families that find out about a diagnosis when they're pregnant and it's Mm -hmm. something that they don't feel like they can parent for a variety of reasons or they're contacted from an agency that does not have a family from their list of names that is open and willing to take a certain child or children that Mm -hmm. is not quote unquote healthy (laughs) for what and that can be a lot a lot of different different things right and so that's how that's how we ended up connecting with our daughter Eliza was through special angels and then an adoption consultant kind of helped us and Eliza this is it's kind of confusing but so Eliza was at an agency through an agency so we actually Mm -hmm. then did adopt through an agency but we hadn't signed on with them at the beginning is that is that right. all right it's kind yeah. of it's so kind the of benefit messy. of that then is that you're not like locked in with one agency right. and then like, yes. you, like you said you kind of leave the doors open yeah a little bit more. And, and I mean I've known people and you guys have probably had friends and family and people you've seen online too where they'll have a failed match domestically mm-hmm. and if it's through a certain agency, then their money is kind of tied to mm-hmm. that agency. And right. yeah, it, it kind of can be unfortunate. So not not Definitely. that I'm saying that you shouldn't go through an agency necessarily, but sure. yeah. Right. So, so from working in an agency, I just want to clarify that the reasons for that is because the people who work at the agency have already done the work, you know, have already done a lot of, right. of work on the case or whatever. So they should obviously get, get paid. But, but what you're saying is there's a, there's a way, you know, an opportunity to do it the way you did that bypasses that and doesn't rob anybody of their money. Right. And <laughs> we, it's, we, well, and charge we still you for did. a failed, failed yeah. attempt. Yeah. yeah. And we still did adopt through an agency. We just hadn't commit like been right. a, a from the family. beginning. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. So Kayla, what would you say? I know this is almost impossible to answer, but you know, a huge part of the adoption process, the pre-adoption process is waiting. Mm-hmm. So how long, like what's an average wait time for a domestic adoption? Oh man, haven't we always heard the stories where, say? where it's like two days and then there's people that have been waiting two right. years and they're all years. loving, yeah. qualified, amazing people. And it just, I mean, I just don't even know if you can speak to it. For us, there was a lot of wait in the like, okay, we're ready. And then it was just kind of like, okay, we're available, but we don't really know what that means. You know, (laughs) just kind of Mm -hmm. sitting around. That was probably about, well, it was probably about nine months, but it felt like forever. And once, once we were home study, home study approved and everything was, you know, paper perfect. So yeah, I don't know. Like, and then with Eliza, then we had a, like two days between finding out about her and holding her in our arms. So once we did uh, find wow. out, it was like instantaneous, which is very yeah. different than international adoption when you see their pictures and right. you even go right. visit them and then you have to come back and it's like, oh, so yeah, yeah that mm-hmm. was a little bit different. So for time, I mean, it can go really, really fast or it can, it can be a wait. So yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Cool. Mm-hmm. Shannon, I'll do you want to talk? Oh, yeah. I'll just chime in that 
my experience with a small agency, the wait was usually one to three years. And like you said, sometimes it was a month later after their paperwork was already, then somebody would mm-hmm. get cho- cho- chosen by a birth mom. But that was right. the average one to three years. Yeah. Oh, and I guess we should say some people are chosen by birth parents or birth mom or birth mm-hmm. family. And some sometimes that's not how it works. So right. That's, right. Yeah, that's something that... Good clarification. Yeah. So for us, like I said, you know, we were living overseas and trying to do an international adoption. Um, and the, like I mentioned, the biggest hurdle was finding someone to do the home study, which turned out to not be impossible, but it took a little bit longer and it felt like a lifetime at the time. I was so anxious to get started. My understanding, Lindsay, is that in for foster care, the home study is the last thing. Is that right? You know, every state is different, but no, it oh, wasn't okay. for us. Okay. Um, I guess that was how it was in Texas when I was, when I, yeah, was I could there. see them letting people go through the training because they kind of include your home study and your training. That's kind of like all one, I don't know, portion. Mm-hmm. So I could mm-hmm. see them letting people go through the training and then scheduling your home study at some point during your training. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So for, for international, it was the first thing. And there was, yeah, there was a lot of you know, hurry up and wait kind of deal. There would be, you know, applications for a visa. And honestly, at this point, it's been six, seven years since I've done the paperwork part. And I don't remember (laughs) everything. so much paperwork. Right. And that's another thing that varies country to country, what kind of visa you're applying Mm -hmm. for, for your child or, but for us, let's see, once we got all of our paperwork done, that was about, I want to say about, 10 months into it, into our process, we got everything done and we were matched with a child immediately who was waiting in the orphanage that, that our agency worked with. And so then it was, but Uganda had a law where they had to have been in the orphanage for three months just to make sure that there were no relatives who were able to, to take them. So, so we had to wait out his three months, but then after Mm -hmm. that came, then we were able to travel. So like I said, it was about 15 months, give or take, I'm trying to remember exactly. Um, but, and for, in, in our situation, we traveled once and we stayed five weeks, but we didn't have any other children. We were able to, we were transitioning from missionaries to moving back to the States. So we actually had this chunk of time that neither of us had to be at work. So we, we actually stayed and lived in the upstairs room of the orphanage for that long. Mm. So there wasn't any back and forth for us. And would you guys say so, that most countries, it there is a required travel? Travel, at yep. least once. Yep. Yes. And that can yeah, really I vary. Yeah, I was going to say, I can't think, I mean, I'm not like researching right now, but I can't think of any countries that don't require travel. I'm sure there are a few, but I can't think yeah. of any off the top of my head. Right. I know that like South Korea and China, I think used to have an escort bring the child on the plane to American soil. Yeah. Uh, but my has... understanding is that's not the way it's done anymore. Yeah, that has that was an option in the past, but I can't think of any right now. Right. So Shannon, in the beginning, you said you used an agency. So how did you start that process of, okay, we've narrowed it down that we fit the requirements for Uganda. Now what? Right. Right. So we chose Uganda because the agency. So we, I, like I said, I had this friend in college who helped actually start this agency. She was there from the beginning and it was, I was only, you know, four years old at the time or something, but I really trusted it was a Christian agency. Since I knew her, I really trusted the the whole operation. Really. My mom knew the director. So we knew that, that it was ethical, that things would be done absolutely ethically, which is a, is a huge thing that maybe we'll talk about later, mm-hmm. but that was, that was how we chose. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Because it well, can be overwhelming when people are doing research. It's like, oh, oh it there's is. so many agencies yeah. and, and you don't know when you're just starting, like there's kind of maybe ethical agencies and not so ethical agencies and you don't right. know the inner yeah. workings. So oh, it, it was nice that you had a, had some sort of connection. Yes. Yeah. We really lucked out. And honestly, at the time we really didn't know that much about, I mean, I guess we were just really naive about 
the ethics behind it and the need. I mean, I knew we knew it as a term, but we didn't really know the ins and outs of what that meant. Yeah. Um, we also didn't really know about or we didn't give a lot of thought to like waiting children versus waiting families, which is a, a mm-hmm. big deal. In mm-hmm. my opinion, I think that we should we should be serving the waiting children and not have laundry lists of families who are waiting. Right. No judgment if Amen. anybody listening is in that position. Yeah. But um but a lot of times it's just because families don't know better because we want to be right. of service, but we're just not informed. Mm-hmm. You know, right. so I just want to throw that out there. Yeah. 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 So I felt we got really lucky because even though we were ignorant about a lot of these things, it still ended up in a way that we feel really good about, you know, yeah. despite our ignorance. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So foster care, every state is a little bit different. We did mm-hmm. foster care in Kentucky and, you know, there it's done through children, family services, and basically you reach out to them and they will get you started on some foster care training. So we had to do 30 hours of classes, mm-hmm. which at that point we had already had, I don't even know, over a hundred hours of classes for international. And we were part of another <sighs> orphan care organization or kind of process. So I wanted to gouge my eyeballs out. And they told <laughs> us we had to do their specific training, but it was actually really good. And I'm, I'm glad that I tried to get out of it and we couldn't. So we did go through, you know, 30 hours of training, all of the background checks and fingerprinting and all of that, like Kayla mentioned earlier with their international adoption. Um, And then the home study, which Kayla covered pretty well. It's not as scary as it sounds, I promise. And really, they just want to know, like, can you can you house a child comfortably? Can you keep them safe? You know, for like in the state of Kentucky, you can't have children of opposite sex over the age of five in the same bedroom. So there are some like kind of weird specifics like that. But for the most part, it's like, you know, do you have knives laying around? Do you have alcohol sitting out everywhere? Do you have smoke detectors? Yeah, it's pretty common sense stuff. It's It's, not good. It's good stuff. Like we want people to be safe and, you know, yeah. Definitely. So there's training, there's home study, background check, all of that. And then... For our situation was a little bit different. Our sons actually lived with us already. <laughs> so we never went through the process of waiting to get the call. We did get calls, but we never took in any other children through foster care other than our two sons that we ended up adopting. But foster care adoption, I'm just going to get on a soapbox just for a minute. Foster care really shouldn't exist <laughs> in the United States. And when you look at the statistics, I they're just really kind of damning statistics. There's basically three churches for every one child in foster care in the United wow. States. Terrible. And it's it's really it's really sad. And and I don't believe that everyone should adopt, but I think a lot more people should be caring for the vulnerable children in foster care in the United States than actually are. Mm-hmm. So you can email me about that and I'd be happy to talk to you about it. But really starting the foster care process is pretty simple. It's pretty straightforward. There are not enough Christians doing it. There just aren't. And I know the system is broken and I know you've heard horror stories, but I'm here to tell you the system is is broken, but God is sovereign over it. And so mm-hmm. I, I love that. Encourage- I love that hashtag that you use. Broken system. Yeah, I had to remind myself of it. I mean, you know, when we do my individual interview, I'll talk more about that. But it was two of the two and a half of the most anxiety filled years of my life for sure Mm -hmm. but he's sovereign and I needed that reminder myself so so yeah that's foster Mm -hmm. care our and the goal of foster care is reunification is reunification it is reunification unfortunately you know statistics vary widely from state to state it doesn't happen no nearly as often and there's a lot of foster care reform that needs to take place Because we had a relationship with our son's first mother before the state got involved, I saw both sides of it. I saw the way that she was treated as a parent. And then I, you know, obviously experienced being a foster parent. So, yeah, there's a lot of things that need to happen, but Christians have to step up and step into the system in order for that to happen. But for us, it was about two and a half years Technically, two years in the in the state's custody, so two years Mm -hmm. in foster care between them going into the system and adoption taking place. Right. So there's a lot of, and there are some 
there are some private foster care agencies. True. Yeah. Thanks for saying that. So I meant to mention that and I totally didn't because it wasn't our experience. But yes, so you can go private foster care. And that means different things in different places where we were kids who went into private. So that means they're with an agency. And usually that's a nonprofit organization. And typically those are kids that are harder to place because they're part of a large sibling group or they could have special needs or it could just be the state's foster homes are all full. And so they kind of had to bump the kids to a private agency. So your experience as the foster parent could vary or it could not. I know private foster care agencies that really do a wonderful job of creating community and support and continuing education for their foster parents. And I know state programs that do that really well too. So it just kind of depends. Like if, if you want to adopt a baby, probably a private foster care agency is not the way for you to go because the state can place babies a lot more easily than they could place an older child or a sibling group of 10, you know, but yeah, Kayla, thanks for pointing that out. Cause I did mean to say that and I totally forgot about it. So a question that definitely comes up for people who are considering adoption is how much does it cost and how did you pay for it? Mm. So you guys want to give just kind of ballpark figures for like the range for domestic, the range for international, and then maybe your thoughts on, how people come up with that money or even how you guys, how you guys did that yourselves. Sure. Yeah. Ours was on the low end for an international adoption. I think it was around $16,000. Wow. Um, And I know that they can get up to, you know, 30,000 or maybe more, especially if you're having to do multiple trips over um, to your country. And for us, don't hate me, (laughs) but we actually had some inheritance money that we used not some, we had, it covered almost all of it. Wow. And so that was, yeah, that was really the only reason that we were able to do it at right. all. But we did apply for some, some grants and things and we didn't, we just didn't end up getting them probably because we were honest and said, we have this inheritance money. You know, we were just, we right, thought, right, why right. not? We'll just apply. At the time there was the tax Yes. It wasn't tax refund, but what was it? Was it a tax refund? Yes, it was. It was a tax refund where we actually got like $12,000 back yeah, one yeah, year. Yeah. It, was, it yeah. was crazy. We, we, um, we got that too. And that it's yeah. different now. It is mm-hmm. it's different now. Right. Is it, is it like tax credit now or did they do away with that too? It's um, been changing a lot. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Lindsay, maybe you can speak to that. I, yeah, I don't know. The last, I would, I don't know that I should speak to it actually, because it's been a while since we. Maybe we can yeah. link in the show notes, just kind of what the. Yeah, to the most that. recent. Yeah. I, for our family, because we find like we were in process, but didn't finalize until it was over. So we get a tax credit. No. What is, <laughs> I don't know. Okay. We did not get. We did not get a big check in the mail. Right. Yeah. But so it was basically, tax credit, probably. you don't pay taxes, you know, for five years is what it works out to be or something mm-hmm. like that. Right. Not right. all taxes, but a certain kind of taxes. Clearly, we are not tax experts. <laughs> yes. Do not. <laughs> do not come to us for money and advice. Clearly, <laughs> <laughs> we're, we're useless. <laughs> but I will try to find something to link to. Yeah. So in our international, it ended up. It was supposed to be on the lower end, and then we tra- We had to travel twice, and, mm-hmm. you know, two people going back and forth to West Africa is not mm-hmm. cheap, so just in travel alone, and then, you know, we had to be there for so long, so that cost, so the first trip we took was a week, and then the second time when we went to finalize and come home was, like, two months. And our, it was, had twists and turns, and, you know, that's a story for another day. But overall, I think our cost international was around 25 and mm-hmm. uh, we were newlyweds, <laughs> young, starting out in entry-level jobs. For part of that time, my husband was in law school and then went into seminary. So, yeah, we were ballers. <laughs> um, yeah, obviously. And we... 
did not have the benefit of an inheritance, unfortunately. Right. Which I think Who does? Awesome. Who does? Yeah. And we didn't have a lot of yeah family that would, would be able to provide us with a lot of monetary resources. But I don't know. We saved and did extra. I did extra freelancing and just... Uh, we did all sorts of crazy fundraisers. Our friends are mm-hmm. in a fairly well-known band, and they did a concert for us for free and gave all the money from the show to um, Joseph's adoption. And we did, we got creative and did like a networking event that had like, food and drinks, and people came and we did a like an auction and kind of made it a big event downtown where we were living and that was really fun um, and also a way just to kind of let people know that adoption is, is a way to to grow your family it might not always be thought of but i think it got a lot of people thinking which was kind of a cool side effect yeah. to mm-hmm. that and then we this was at the time when like everyone was doing t-shirts and we did we did some shirts and I, I like crafted things and I had friends that crafted things and gave us the profits. And I don't know, by the grace of God, like, I I don't know, like people's generous contributions just added up and our savings Mm -hmm. and our tax refunds and all of the things. And we ended up being able to adopt without any debt as young 20 something which is that's amazing uh yeah i just just a testament to god because mm-hmm. i don't know yeah um and, sure. and it's also worth noting that you're not paying twenty five thousand dollars up front right right there's right. like there's small right. smallish fees that you, know, you start at the very beginning or whatever yep. step you're in next. yeah yeah yep. and yep. for international the biggest piece is typically the travel mm-hmm. Which yes. is usually at the end. I mean, Kaylee, you mentioned you guys made multiple trips, but yeah. typically, you know, it's it's at the end and people are excited and grants are more likely to fund you if mm. you're getting close to the end as well. So usually those bigger chunks are towards the end, which is, is helpful just logistically. Right. Right. And then yeah. for domestic, domestic adoption of an infant can be incredibly high. Mm-hmm. The, the numbers that I've seen is anywhere from like thirty to fifty thousand dollars. Yeah, it's 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 very high, especially if you if you do happen to go a consultant route and then have a very expensive agency, mm-hmm. you're paying for both of those. So that is just something to consider. And there are a lot of grants. There are interest free loans that you can do. Our adoption did not cost that much because it was a special needs adoption and they, I don't, I don't know, it's kind of like weird talking about money, but <laughs> it just wasn't as expensive, which is yeah. honestly kind of heartbreaking when you think about so, it. So Kayla, if I didn't know anything about adoption and I heard you say thirty to $50,000, my first thought would be what in the heck costs so much? I, so, I know. Maybe Shannon can, can speak you, to this because I can either honestly, you, I have some feels can about it. you break so. that? figure down or do you think maybe not um well I can tell you that nobody's getting rich off adoption well nobody who's doing it ethically is getting rich off adoption (laughs) but there are you know there's there's lawyers there's caseworkers there's overhead costs for the agency there's yeah just uh, the agency that I worked for took excellent care of the birth mothers. Mm-hmm. And I know that my friends who worked with birth mothers were certainly not, you know, making any sort of sure. impressive paycheck, but they worked all the time. Mm-hmm. Like people are basically like OBGYNs, right? They're on call like 24 yeah. seven, even just for emotional support. Or, I mean, at my agency, they would help them find jobs. They would, right. I mean, they would, you know, help buy it's- them clothes so that they could get a job (laughs) or, Mm -hmm. you know, just so there's a lot of, a lot of stuff that you don't really think of immediately or you don't see. And just frankly, yeah, there's just so many little people, not little people, but you know what I mean? Um, Parts, kind of cogs in the machine along the way that it's really equally distributed, but it is, it is unfortunate that it costs so much Mm -hmm. for the families. Yeah. Yeah. And like I said, that wasn't fully our experience, but we also, tried to do some creative things because at this point we had two children and we're expecting another via birth. And so it was and on a pastor and freelancer salary. So, you right. know, we did creative things. Like I took family pictures 
photography is a hobby of mine and then just ask people for donations to do that and yes and then once we found out about Eliza like we made an adopt together page which if you don't know it's just a way to share your story you have to be homesteady ready and then people donate directly to adopt together and then adopt together gives you a check and so it's and they will only do it if you're like ready to go type of thing. And, yeah. And so it's kind of a nice way that if people are contributing financially, they know that it's, they're not just like giving random money to your PayPal account. You know what I mean? Like it's, right. yeah. So right. some people so were very, very generous. Right. And it, it's a very cool to see the body of Christ come together because I was so doubtful and worried and, with savings and contributions and fundraisers and all of those types of things. I, I guess not really fundraiser isn't the right word, but just creatively thinking about ways to make money. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. So for us, our international situation is a little bit unique because it took so long. And we, like I mentioned, we had several breaks and we switched we had three different adoption agencies i think we had four home study agencies by the end so that's not typical and we actually walked away from an agency and we also walked away from $20,000 when we left that agency oh, so oh my goodness um, we started over from scratch can you um, just the- briefly say why you walked away yeah the referrals that i mentioned earlier one of those little boys had been trafficked And our attorney on the ground, praise the Lord, decided to do his own investigation and not trust what he was told. And yeah, that was just the Lord. So his birth family was found and he was returned to them. And we are very, very thankful for that. Yeah. So anyway, that happened. Wow. Yeah. (laughs) Thank you for sharing. Yeah. There's a lot to say about it. And Uh I will Mm -hmm. will definitely share about it in my individual interview because it shaped and formed our outlook on orphan care. Mm -hmm. And even to this day, what we do in our neighborhood, hugely, hugely. So we just didn't feel comfortable proceeding with them for obvious reasons. But then our daughter came along and God made it very clear that we were supposed to pursue her. So we did. And so that, you know, her adoption on top of that was in the $30,000 range, I believe. I honestly stopped counting. Like after you, after you <laughs> walk away from 20 grand, you just stop. Right. Counting. <laughs> but, wow. but I will say this, you know, the Lord owns the cattle on a thousand Hills and he will sell one of them any day of the week to put mm-hmm. a child in a family. Mm-hmm. And that was 100% our experience when yep. we started the international process. So I think to send our in, our um, initial application into our agency, I think it was like 200 bucks or something. And you guys, we didn't even have $200 in our savings account. Like we were mm. so broke. I mean, we were like you guys newly married, uh-huh. you know, not big fancy jobs. And we just felt like this is what we're supposed to do. Um, right. So we did it and he provided every penny. And I think that's what people that are listening, you know, costs can feel like such a, well, I would adopt if I had the money. Yes. But yes. if right. you really mm-hmm. feel... Like, this is something that is on your mind and on your heart, and there's some a, a path that you can take to this. Like, don't let money stop you, because no. as we've all seen, you can make it happen. God will make it happen. Yeah, yeah mm-hmm. absolutely. And then foster care, so this is the fun part, is free. Mm-hmm. Yay! Yay. And actually, so all that stuff that we mentioned at the beginning about how to start the process, they do all of that for you for free. So we didn't, you don't pay for your FBI fingerprints or your background check or your home study. You don't pay for any of it. Whereas Mm -hmm. with domestic and internationally, you do. And then Mm -hmm. also with foster care, you get a monthly stipend to care for the kids while they're in the state's custody. And if you adopt so this gets a little tricky and very state by state. But if you adopt a special special needs child, your stipend continues and it becomes an adoption stipend. And special needs is a very, very loose term. So in most states, it's any child of color. And it also is sibling groups. And it also is a white child over the age of, let's just say five, because that's pretty typical. So which most kids in foster care meet one of those criteria. So most foster parents who adopt get that stipend continuing until the child is 18. And then for like where we adopted in Kentucky, our boys have free health insurance and they'll get free in-state tuition if they go to college in Kentucky. So we obviously don't live there anymore, but Hey, it's 
is still a really, really financially beneficial way of adopting. And I wouldn't, you know, there's also a lot of scary things about foster care. So not to say that money should sway you because like we've talked about, you know, God will provide whatever it is that you need. But I think a lot of people either don't recognize that about foster care or yeah, it just doesn't get talked about a whole lot that because it's kind of weird. I think one of you said talking about money is weird. So, you know, not everyone talks about the fact that like, hey, we get this check from the state every month and it, you know, allows us to take care of all these kids. But and that is is available in domestic special needs adoptions as well. It's not just foster. Cool. That's good to know. Yeah. Okay. And it's so very state by state, I should say. Oh, sure. Yeah. yeah, that's the hard thing. Mm-hmm. And we'll link in the show notes to some of these different places where you can get some of that information, like Adopt US Kids is a great website. Mm-hmm. And there are several others that we'll link to for yeah. people who are interested in getting more info. Yeah. And that's just upside down podcast.com. Yes. Yeah, thank we'll you. Again at the end too. <laughs> So what do you guys wish that you had known prior to your adoptions? The first thing that comes to mind is I wish that I had known that just because a child is not, their paperwork doesn't say special needs does not mean that they won't have special needs. (laughs) And I think I read, I think I did read like a general sense of like all adoption is special needs adoption because they've been through a loss. They've been through trauma but I definitely underestimated what that could mean. And so I think I really regret my first couple of years of the way I parented. I I don't feel like I parented the way I would have had I looked at it as a special needs child because he seemed very typical. And, but there's just things that I wish, you know, I wish I would have paid a lot more attention to the the basic attachment guidelines, which I did for, you know, a month or two, and then everything seemed fine. So I started relaxing them. And if you, mm-hmm. if you've done a little adoption research, you know what I mean? I won't go into it too much, but, and then we kept thinking, oh, you know, one day in the future, maybe we'll adopt a special needs child. And then it turns out a couple years into it, we, we really started realizing that our child does qualify as special needs. We have several different um, different factors going on in our family. And so, yeah, I, I wish I had just been more prepared for it rather than thinking that just because the paperwork says everything's fine, that means everything is fine. Mm-hmm. And I certainly wouldn't have changed my mind about it. I think I just could have done a better job the early years if I had known. Mm-hmm. What about you? Oh, man. Isn't that, I mean, like I said, when we first stepped into it, we were fairly young. And so a lot of the stuff, it's like I thought I was really well read, but I think, right. I don't think even as much as you read, there's only so much you can read until you're actually parenting and you're actually in the trenches. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what it, yeah. in all parenting, we yeah. see that, you know, like you can read all what to expect when you're expecting, but that doesn't mean you know what it's like to have a baby, you know, right. and it's the same way with adoption. So, I mean, I wish I had known all the things, you know, and I've learned a lot about brain, the brain, and mm-hmm. this is something mm-hmm. that maybe we'll touch on later, but just the way trauma and trauma can be even having a, a hard pregnancy in utero, mm-hmm. but the way trauma affects the way that the brain works is, yeah. is just absolutely, it's not only really interesting, but it really, really changes the way that I parent all my kids now. My, yeah. and mm-hmm. I just, I'm not sure how much I could have fully understood that until I was in the active stage of parenting. But that's right. something that I would recommend. And, you know, when we talk about some recommended resources at the end, that is something I would recommend is boning up on what that means and what that looks like. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I think similarly, there's sort of this idea out there that if you just love them enough, you know, and if mm-hmm. you just put them in a good home and give oh, them a yeah. family and mm-hmm. give them the right nutrition and you just love them. And like you were saying, Kayla, trauma affects the brain in really intense ways. And that's just not the case. Love is not all you need, despite what the Beatles say. So Mm -hmm. I think for me, 
I like you guys said, you can read as I mean, we read all the books. We were waiting for years and years. One of the most helpful things that we did, which I want to ask you guys this question next, but we actually went to an adoption support group before we adopted. Because after waiting for a referral or to be matched for for literally years, I was kind of an adoption scrooge. And so we would go to like the meetings <laughs> that our agency had for parents who were waiting and people would pull out the referral pictures and tell me about their timeline and when they were going to go to court. And they were mm. so excited. And I just couldn't be excited for them anymore. I just couldn't. Yeah, I get and, that. Yeah. And so then we started going to the adoption support group with foster parents and people who had adopted internationally and domestically. And I think for me, hearing those parents just be really open and really honest with their stories and their situations was the most helpful thing in preparing me for recognizing, okay, we, and we had done all the training and read all the books, but just hearing it from someone who was experiencing it right then was really beneficial and then when it was happening in my own living room, you know, that was another story. But I, I do think there's something to be said for recognizing exactly what both of you said, that, mm-hmm. that trauma affects the brain and that adoption is redemptive and it's beautiful, but redemption happens because something was broken, right? And brokenness right, right. is traumatic. And so yeah. whether we call it special needs or, you know, whatever we, whatever descriptor we put on it, any child who is coming into a new family, that child has been through trauma and needs more than love. They need Jesus ultimately. It's but I love think- that looks, you know, like therapeutic parenting yeah. and it looks like counseling and it looks like, it looks like, it looks like, so it's all love, but it's not just like, right. yeah. It's not the surface level. Right. It's it's diving deep. And I think that's the other thing. It's really entering into their pain and their brokenness and their hurts with them and saying, okay, I'm going to sit here with you more than it's pulling them out and trying to fix it. Oh my gosh. Can I give you like 10,000? Amen. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) it. It's going into those deep, hard, dark places and and just being and that's really hard and I could talk about that for a long time but we can't I know um okay so you guys tell me what was I said my most helpful thing going to the adoption support group before we had adopted what was your most helpful thing to help you prepare well for us since we were in Indonesia we didn't really have the luxury of going to support groups or conferences so that was that was really hard. And I think in retrospect, that that was really to our disadvantage that we weren't really able to be around other adoptive families or or anyone else who was, you know, preparing for the process. So for me in that kind of isolated place, and maybe to a listener who lives out in the country in the middle of nowhere or something, that's hard to do those kinds of things. Reading blogs, reading, reading adoptive mom blogs was the, the most helpful thing for me. It gave me the most realistic picture of what to expect. And since I read several of them, I kind of piece together, you know, different, different things. So that was really helpful. But if you have any ability whatsoever to get to a conference once a year or whatever, I would definitely recommend that doing that at the very least, no matter where you live. But I didn't, I didn't have that. Yeah. Yeah. I think I just echo what both of you guys say. I think getting connected with real life people is, is important if you can do it. And so the maid of honor at our wedding was adopted from the Philippines and when we were first just kind of mulling over, I think we want to adopt, you know, before having biological kids, I talked to her and I was like, you know, what do you think? Is this crazy? Like, is, what was your experience? And we had some really good conversations. So I think that's important. Yeah. Yeah. So a question that I get asked a lot is, what if my husband isn't on the same page? And we haven't experienced that necessarily. Um, We've always been on the same page that we want to adopt, but there have been times where I was pushing for siblings and my husband was not pushing Mm -hmm. for siblings or, you know, kind of timing of the different breaks that we had to take and things like that. But I think just knowing what I know now on the back end, even just pushing that little bit that I did I recognize now was really unhealthy. And so we were on the same page for adoption, like I said, but I think if your husband's not on the same page in terms of you want to adopt and he doesn't, then that's like an automatic, like 
don't pass go, don't collect $200, don't fill out any applications. And, you know, pray. I mean, that's definitely like the first thing that I would say is to pray and ask other women to pray for you. Maybe find somebody, like Kayla said, the real people is super helpful in finding someone who has been through that experience. And just trust the Lord that if he's brought your heart to a certain place, like you can pray and ask him to bring your husband's heart to the same place. But I think it's really important Mm -hmm. for not only the potential child that you could be bringing into your home, but for that child to see a healthy marriage and to not feel resented or neglected. And I mean, I have Mm. heard stories of that happening and it's just really heartbreaking and no one wants that, you know, and and of course, like bringing a child home is always, I think, well-intentioned, but I think just took a word of caution would be to not push and not rush. And I mean, I waited for six years, so I know the waiting is hard, but I would just say that gives you really an opportunity to lean into the Lord. And this and, is something you need to be a team on. Yeah, I mean, for yeah, sure. Definitely. I mean, just, and I was thinking about it earlier, you know, like you wouldn't like secretly, how do I say this? Get pregnant. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> You wouldn't do anything funny there, you know? Right, right. Probably, you know, this is similar. Bringing a child into your family, regardless of how it happens, should be a joint decision. Yeah. 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 Leave it at that. Only true. I wanted to add, too, that we acknowledge that we are not touching the infertility factor simply because it hasn't been a part of any of our stories, Mm -hmm. and we just want to to kind of respect the fact that we can't speak to that. We can't speak to that particular pain, but we're hoping that if you are listening and you are struggling with infertility, that, that this has still been helpful for you and it still can be a good resource and you can certainly contact us directly and we'd love to hear your story and hook you up with a friend of ours. I'm sure we all probably have friends who have had that as a part of their story. So reach out if you want someone to talk to about that. Yeah. Yeah. And a quick resource on that is the carry camp. We'll link to that, but just, I want to say it so we don't forget that's a great resource for women who are struggling with struggling with infertility. And I think there's like C-A-R-R-Y. Yeah. There's like the choose joy conference that I've seen a lot of people really get connected with too. Is that one specific to infertility? I think that that's a big component of it. And then also then adoption stemming out of that. Cool. Okay. okay. But maybe, maybe not, maybe it doesn't have to be, but I think it's pretty, yeah, pretty welcoming to that. That's great. All right. So we talked about reading and resources and we wanted to just quickly kind of list three books that we feel like adoptive families should read. Mm -hmm. So Shannon, do you want to share yours with us? The first one that came to mind for me was The Connected Child um, by Karen Purvis and someone else whose name I'm blanking on. But Dr. Purvis, you could look it up by her and The Connected Child. It's Mm -hmm. sort of just like a handbook for adoptive parents. It's it's excellent. Mm -hmm. It's so good. Did you have any others? So my other one that I thought was The Whole Brain Child, which somebody just said maybe is by Siegel. I'm not positive. Um, And then... Okay. And then Attaching an Adoption by Deborah Gray. I really liked that one when we were waiting. Mm -hmm. Good. Uh, What about you? I think a good one when you're starting out is Forever Mom, What to Expect When You're Adopting. And that's by Mary Austin. And she, they have biological and children that came through adoption. And she just really goes through like everything we've talked about on this podcast. But like a really relatable, mm-hmm. gentle, but also informative kind of way. And so because some sometimes when you start jumping into those adoption books, they get really big and heavy. And it's like, what am I reading? And what am I doing? And so she kind of goes through everything in, a, mm-hmm. in an easy to read way. So I definitely recommend that for people that are adopting transracially. There's a book called In Their Own Voices. And yeah. it's adoptees sharing their experiences. And that was something I read before we adopted Joseph and I definitely recommend it. It's not always easy to read some of those things, but it's really good and it's, and it helps us be more equipped as parents. And then I, I definitely like echo Shannon's on the connected child. It's kind of revolution, revolutionary. (laughs) It's really good. For sure. 
So my three, my first one that always comes to mind is orphan justice, because I think it's hugely important to understand the vulnerable children crisis and not just the adoption aspect. Mm. And I can't remember the author, but he does a really fabulous job. It's a really, really good book. And then the next one, none of mine are actually adoption specific, (laughs) but I, I think it's really, really important. So the next one Mm -hmm. is the new Jim Crow, Mm -hmm. um, which actually it's so big and it's so good, but it outlines the history of African Americans in the United States and how we went from slavery to Jim Crow to the new Jim Crow to mass incarceration, where we are today. And I just think for anyone adopting, whether it's domestically African American or from an African country, hugely, hugely important to understand the history of African-Americans in our country. And then the last one is Tattoos on the Heart by (laughs) Father Greg Boyle. I, yeah, just everyone who breathes needs to to read it. Um, So Father G works with formerly incarcerated and former gang members in Los Angeles. And I think just the human experience and the nature of shame and loss and waiting for healing in another human being is he just does a beautiful job of explaining it and it's something that it's just the human experience you know and it's so good and so beautiful and I learn so much about parenting from Father G who Mm -hmm. obviously has no children but yeah definitely that's one of mine yeah my top ones for everyone yeah so we wanted to end with a question that can be lighthearted and funny, but can also be really um, hurtful and hard. So what are some questions that you guys have been asked about your family? And maybe if they were not appropriate questions, what would an appropriate question be? Mm. Or is it just flat out, that's not appropriate? Mm. Well, something that people (laughs) asked me when we had Joseph and if they weren't familiar with our story is when are you going to have your own or Mm. so you can't have your own and just assuming that and I would just say well first of all Joseph is my own and well sometimes I would say that if they if it was someone who was really not being nosy and just didn't know the right words then I might just gently say well, we haven't tried to have biological children yet and we'll see what happens type of thing. And then if I was feeling like a little bit more agitated, I would say, well, first of all, Joseph is my own. And second of all, you know, whatever my answer would be Mm -hmm. biological. Mm -hmm. So that own thing is like, ugh. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. And similarly, we get the question in many different forms, but like, are they your real children? Are you their real mom? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, kind of a similar question, but just phrased differently. Are yeah. they real? Which mm-hmm. that question oftentimes comes from other kids. And so right. I obviously answer it a little bit differently than I would for adults. And, but anytime I'm answering this question, I'm always answering it for my child who's listening. Right. Yeah. Not, not necessarily the person asking the question. Yeah. So. I'm going to go ahead and be mildly inappropriate. There is a video and I think, <laughs> I think I'll have to link to it. Yeah. And it's basically, it was made by an adoptive couple and it's, I just refer to it as the boob job video. Cause I don't know what it's actually titled, yeah. but so they basically go through a series of questions and say, if you wouldn't ask it about a boob job, it's probably not appropriate <laughs> to ask an adoptive parent. So right. would you ask about a boob job? Is it real? Right. <laughs> no, you wouldn't. How much did they cost? How much did they right. cost? Right. I can't think of any of the other questions. Oh. Or just, like, there's one shot of the guy just staring. Do you guys remember that? <laughs> yes. like, not saying anything. He's just staring, which we get a lot of stares. Or where, uh, where did you get those? Yeah. Where yeah. Did you get those? Yeah. Yeah, so that's really funny, and we will link to it because it makes yeah, it's great. It makes light of the situation. Yeah. Do you guys have any other questions that you get asked? Well, I I am not super lighthearted about this, but recently I did get asked in or in front of my child who is six and a half years old. <laughs> he is not, you know, a little one year old. Six right. and a half years old. Somebody asked me where he's from, and then oh. 
gosh, are things still really bad there? I've heard, I heard they're just so bad with the war there. And I'm just like, wow, no, actually it's a really beautiful country. You know, I mean, honestly, I just, I couldn't, I couldn't handle it. So please don't do that ever. Yeah. And then just really personal questions about what happened to his parents or, you know, and I'm not talking my best friend. I'm talking people, you know, people at at the the grocery store. Right. Yeah. just not appropriate mm-hmm. yeah for sure yeah. well we completely recognize that we're just scratching the surface and we intentionally focused this conversation on pre-adoption and preparing you and all of that and so we do have in the works and planned a more of a post-adoption episode where we can dive more into some of the attachment things and the how do you handle xyz question from your child and you know birth parent relations and all of those things that come into play after your kiddo is actually home so that's coming up that's in the future but we hope you guys enjoyed enjoyed this special pre-adoption episode and you can follow us online on Instagram and Facebook at Upside Down Podcast. And we'll post all the links and all the stuff that we've been talking about in the show notes at UpsideDownPodcast.com. That's all right. So thanks for all listening right. and happy National Adoption Month. Yes. Woo-hoo. Bye.